You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you guys. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here of the village. Uh, Pastor Michael, who's usually uh, is up here doing this thing on Sundays, he's actually down in Frankfort, Kentucky at The Point Community Church. Uh, they are a church that's part of the Acts 29 network that we are a part of as well. Uh, and so he's preaching down there for uh, Pastor Andy Lawrence. Uh, and Pastor Andy is actually going to be coming up here uh, sometime in the next couple weeks and preaching for us uh, through uh, the Royal Psalms as well. They're going through a, a similar series as we are. So I uh, get to look forward to that and just be praying for uh, Pastor Michael as he's down there ministering to that body today. So uh, my wife and I, we've been married for uh, 13 years. Uh, I think there's a photo maybe to put up on the screen of what we looked like on our wedding day, uh, September 15th, 2007. It might be up there, maybe not. Uh, it's a clean-shaven, beardless, glassless me, uh, which is just weird to look at. My kids have no idea uh, who that is or, uh, or anything. They're, who is that guy? Uh, not sure. Uh, I could show you uh, as well the, the video from our uh, wedding day as well, um, except one that's not while, why we're here this morning is to watch our wedding video. Uh, the other reason is because uh, intermittently throughout that footage, uh, it cuts in with an Indiana high school football game. Uh, it's literally an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. If you've ever watched that show, that literally happens on the show. Uh, I am not the one who did that. Uh, I did not tape over everything uh, at all on the video. It was a, a user error from our videographer slash uh, uncle, uh, all right? And so uh, it was uh, a, quite a surprise to be like watching us recite our vows and the next minute watch the, the quarterback of the Hagerstown Tigers, uh, you know, but... Needless to say, uh, it's okay. As much as we would like to actually go back and watch that footage uninterrupted, um, it is not, it's not that big of a deal at the end of the day because we don't need a, a pristine recording of that day in order to know that we are, in fact, married, right? Because marriage isn't a past event that we, that we keep coming back to over and over again. Uh, the, the wedding is, right? Our, our marriage began back in the past with a wedding, and we wouldn't be married without one of those things, right? But, uh, but marriage itself is not a past event. It's a relationship that we get to live in uh, and grow in and get old in together. It's not a, not a matter of having a, a mini VHS tape uh, that's then burned to a DVD. Uh, that's how old we are. Um, what's a mini VHS tape? You, some of you don't even know that. Uh, it, it's a matter of two people seeing each other for who they really are uh, and knitting their lives together for the sake of a, a common purpose or a, a common cause. While marriages begin in the past, they live in the present for the sake of building some kind of future together, whether or not the wedding has been taped over, right? So this week's royal psalm is, uh, is pretty unique. It's a unique one because it's addressed directly to a king, uh, not God the king, as most of them are, but to an earthly king. And not only that, it's unique because the occasion of this psalm is actually the king's wedding. Uh, think of it like a toast, almost, like a wedding toast. The best man raising his glass and giving words of, of blessing to his friend, uh, the groom, and to his new bride. Um, except that instead of just saying the words, he's singing them because it's a, it's a song. Uh, funny enough, uh, I just literally officiated a wedding uh, two days ago, and so I've been soaking in all the wedding vibes uh, this, this weekend. And, and I love weddings uh, for lots of reasons, but the biggest reason is because it just paints a vivid picture of the gospel. 
right? Weddings, uh, marriage, all of it is meant to dramatize Jesus' relationship with his church, with us. This is what uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through 32 says. Paul writes, wives, uh, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her uh, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5. And so marriage is about Jesus and the church. And so as we read through this song together, written to a soon-to-be-married couple on their wedding, uh, you're not missing out on anything if you're not married. Uh, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, uh, if you're single, whatever. Um, this is for everyone, married or unmarried, because we're going to look at this through the lens of our relationship with Jesus, with Jesus as the groom and with us as his bride. And, and while we're going to hit on the importance of knitting our life together to Christ, we're also going to, to see that it's not something that's just stuck in some past event, but it's a relationship that we get to enjoy in the present so we can build some kind of future together. And so this is the main burden for our text this morning, that marrying our life to Christ's means giving up an old life to build a new kingdom. This is the main burden of our text this morning. And we're going to start by looking at the first nine verses of Psalm 45. So I'll read these uh, again. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. And he's got a lot to say. Uh, and he's really excited to say it. His heart is overflowing with stuff that he wants to say about this king. Uh, you are the most handsome or excellent of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and justice and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory places or palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. And so uh, our first point this morning is that Jesus is the greatest groom. Jesus is the greatest groom. Uh, one of the things that Kelly and I wish that we had done on our wedding day is, is that we had gotten pictures together before the actual ceremony. Uh, we were old school. Uh, we didn't want to see each other before the ceremony. We wanted that, that big wow moment when the doors open and I get to see her for the first time and everybody gets to see her for the first time as she's coming down the aisle. Uh, usually on a wedding day, the, the anticipation, the excitement is largely about the bride. 
right? Uh, folks don't stand up when the groom walks out. They, they don't really get excited when the groom comes up to the front. Uh, but, but man, the doors shut. People stand up. Uh, the music changes. Flower petals are thrown. There's a runner uh, that's run down the aisle. All that stuff for the bride, right, when she's finally revealed. The attention is all, is all on her. But in this song, the star of the show is on the groom. It's the king. And the writer of this psalm calls out a number of praiseworthy things about him, especially the way that this king actually leads. Um, again, you can almost think of this psalm as a, as a toast. Uh, and so just like a lot of toasts, you get to learn some things about the groom. It's just that you're not learning about them through funny stories from when they were kids or college roommates or, or whatever. The psalm writer has a sincere heart and has some sincere things to say about who this groom is actually is. And so uh, we just want to highlight three big things about this royal groom this morning and then point to how uh, they're even more true about Jesus and, and why that matters to us. So the first thing we want to look at is, is the way that he leads with his words. Okay, it's the first thing we want to point out. Grace is poured upon your lips, therefore God has blessed you forever. That's what the psalm writer writes. Uh, that's another way of saying that he was a gifted speaker. Kings were usually known for their eloquence, right? Think about uh, some of our, our most famous U.S. presidents. There's a reason why many are almost immediately identified with some sort of, of punchy quote from one of their speeches, right? Uh, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Or, or Mr. Gorbachev, uh, tear down this wall. Or just the word strategery, right? Uh, that will, uh, th those words are words, uh, an expression of their authority or their, their leadership, their vision for the, na uh, the nation that they serve, right? Long after they've gone, those words, just like the, the audio clips that we've heard of those speeches uh, in the past, uh, they're going to go on, right? And, and what this morning's psalm writer says is that grace poured upon the king's lips is a blessing that also goes on, and it goes on forever, so the kind of king worth praising, uh, worth marrying even then, is the kind of king who knows that his ability to speak and the power of his words have been given to him as a blessing. And that his words are then meant to be a blessing to those that he leads. He knows his people, he knows what's best for them, and he tells them what they need to hear. Not what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. Jesus always nails this, right? But, but we don't always appreciate it or even want it from him, if we're honest. Uh, if you have any desire to marry your life to Jesus, then you need to know that he has every interest in communicating his love for you, but he has absolutely no interest in flattering you. There's a difference there, and it's a really good thing for us. Um, I spent my, uh, my pre-Kelly years uh, dating girls that, looking back, um, I just didn't trust at all. Not because they were sneaky or bad or anything like that. Just, I just didn't trust them to tell me what they really thought of me or where they really wanted to go for dinner, right? Or what movie they really wanted to see or what they really thought of whatever romantic gesture high school Scott did back in the early 2000s, whatever those things were. Uh, and as an insecure kid already, like that was just a bad combination for me, right? And so uh, enter Kelly in my college years uh, and there was no doubt on my mind uh, what she was thinking about me, right? Or literally anything else. This was and still is one of what she had to say always felt good or was flattering, but because I didn't have to guess. I didn't have to wonder. It was right there. It was on her face, her body language, her words. Uh, she wouldn't hide something I needed to know just to tell me something I wanted to hear. She literally can't do that. It's impossible for her. And so she was someone that I could trust in a new, refreshing way. 
So when she told me she loved me, I knew that she didn't just love me because of some fictional version of me, some fake version of me, some future version of me that didn't actually exist, but she loved me for who I was right then and right there, even though I let my laundry pile up in my dorm room, and I still leave my socks laying around the house tonight in the most random of places. I don't know how they got there. So, so she loves me not just because of who I am, but also in spite of who I am. And folks, that is a greater kind of love. And so when Jesus speaks to us, whether with easy words or with hard words, he's saying them with this greater kind of love that is infinitely deeper than than my wife's love for me. The words of Jesus are a blessing because they can be trusted. He's not going to to hide anything from us. He's not going to flatter us. His kind words aren't meant for a pretend version of you, a future version of you, a fake version of you that doesn't exist. And his hard words aren't meant to destroy you. They're not meant to reject you. They're meant to lead you, to bless you. And all of his words, all we need to know for life and godliness, all the things he wants to make sure that we hear from him are laid out for us in the scriptures, right? These are the words he wants to lead us with. Hebrews 4 says that the Bible is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of your very soul and spirit of your joints and your marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of your heart. No creature, including you, is hidden from Jesus' sight, but rather you are naked and exposed before him. Jesus has already plumbed the depths of your sin and your suffering. Things that you don't want to admit are there, things that you don't want others to see, things that maybe you don't even know are there yourself. And this is a blessing. This is a good thing. Because Jesus, who has been given all authority on heaven and earth, after seeing all of that, wants to lead you. He knows you. He knows what you need. He knows what's best for you. And he he wants to bless you, not by telling you what you want to hear, but by telling you what you need to hear for your good. He is the greatest groom. And he doesn't just lead with his words, but he actually also leads with his life. And this is the the second thing that we get to look at this morning, is that uh, he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. He's not just a lover, he's a fighter. And and married people, we fight a lot. Usually about really dumb things. (laughs) Uh, We fight over how to load the dishwasher, how to fold the the clothes, um, how someone said a certain thing, right, over the thermostat, whatever. Fill in the blank, you'd probably fight about it, right? Uh, and, and the fights about the dumb things are almost never actually about the dumb things. They're actually usually about something deeper that's, that's not quite so obvious. But, but left unchecked, man, couples can find themselves fighting nonstop about a million little things without realizing it's all really part of some bigger problem, a, a deeper fight that's brewing underneath the surface. And not only is that exhausting, But being stuck on the surface keeps people from remembering what they're supposed to be fighting for, not just fighting over. But here, we have a king who isn't just ready to fight, but he's ready to fight about the right things, to fight for the right things. Gird your sword on your thigh. In other words, he's telling the king to pack heat, right, to be ready to fight right? Uh, In your majesty, ride out victoriously. And I love this because he's calling him to ride out victoriously. Before he's gotten to the battle, he knows he's going to win already. He knows the victory is in his hands. Uh, For the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness, your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. In other words, he hits the mark uh, every single time. He doesn't lose. 
The king, uh, this king is not only a king who's ready to fight, but he knows what's worth a fight. Truth, righteousness, justice, meekness. And meekness doesn't mean being cowardly. It means only getting angry about the things worth getting angry about and living quietly, fighting every little fight that you could possibly pick. And we probably know those people, right? Some of you might actually be those people that, that pick fights at every uh, opportunity. Th- those folks who only comment on social media stuff when they want to argue or debate on something, right? Or uh, people who build platforms and influence off of uh, constant controversy or strife or shutting people down. People like that make it seem like they're about really important things, but they're really not. They're quick to turn on any friend, uh, to turn any friend into an enemy if it means making a point or making a buck uh, or just making themselves look good in the moment. And these folks do lead, but they lead with the lives of others at other people's expenses and never at their own. And as dangerous as that can be when it's just someone with a YouTube channel, right, or Twitter followers or whatever, it can be personally traumatic when that person is your spouse, and nationally catastrophic when it's a king who's willing to sacrifice his whole kingdom for his own sake. And in our psalm today, our bride is looking at both in the same person, a king and a groom. And so Jesus, when we, when we look to him as our king, he knows what to fight against because he knows the real enemy, Satan, and the sin and suffering and death that his forces have ushered in. Jesus knows that they are the ultimate threat to truth uh, and righteousness and meekness, the things he knows are worth fighting for. During his life, people tried to draw him into picking political and theological sides uh, all the time in current hot topic debates. They wanted him to, to, to draw lines in the sand. And by and large, he rejected the very premises of those questions, the way those debates were even framed. And instead, he turned those questions back on his audience to press them on their faith, on their righteousness, on their love for the Lord and their neighbor, because he knew that was the real war being waged underneath the surface. Dude, Satan loves it when God's people carve themselves up by political party or mask or no, no mask or vax or anti-vax or homeschool or public school or whatever. He loves that, to be preoccupied with who's on what side of which lines we have drawn for ourselves. All while Jesus is not only most interested in the line that he's most interested in, but the line he actually drew and the line he actually died to get us over is the one from unrighteousness to righteousness, from guilty to forgiven, from unclean, ashamed, rejected to pure and blameless and accepted, spiritually dead to eternally alive. That is the real fight. And Jesus led that fight with his life. Not mine, not yours. He never turns on his people, mistakes them for enemies, and he led at the expense of his own life, not at the expense of his people's. His majestic ride to victory was his march outside the city gates to Calvary. His right hand and his left taught us all an awesome deed on that day, that in order for the king's enemies to fall, it was the hands and the feet and the heart of the king himself that would need to be pierced, not with arrows, but with nails and a spear. And like we read in Ephesians, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her for the exact right fight at the exact right time, and he won over Satan and sin and death. And the proof is in his his resurrection and the fact that his kingdom still stands today. He is the greatest groom. 
And the last thing that we want to look at is that the king leads in a way that's celebrated by all. He leads with a, a gladness that's greater than anyone else's because it's a gladness that's rooted in God. He, he is not only dressed in royal robes, but royal robes smelling of myrrh and aloe and cassie, these perfumes given to him by, by the people as a gift. He's literally clothed in the praises of his people. His, his character and his authority stirs faraway palaces to play beautiful music for him, causes foreign kings to entrust their daughters to him, causes uh, his bride to be dressed in nothing but the finest gold from Ophir, which was a, a wealthy merchant city nearby. This king is celebrated, respected, renowned. He has a good reputation. Everybody who knows him loves him. Look, if you're, if you're dating someone, uh, or if you're engaged to someone and your friends, are not on board with this guy or this girl, uh, that is not a good sign, all right? Uh, it's so easy to get emotionally caught up and, and Twitter-pated, right, as Bambi uh, says, which can blind you to otherwise obvious red flags, which is all the more reason to listen to your trusted friends, to heed their advice, to consider your significant other's reputation. Don't say yourself short, right? Oh, they've changed, right? They're not the way they used to be or any of those things. And everyone else around you is like, no, they're pretty much the same person as they've always been. Uh, you want people to be happy when you're with someone. You want people to celebrate it on your wedding day. Man, it'd be a huge bummer if people were worried, disappointed, mourning at the reality of you tying the knot with someone. What are you looking for in a spouse if that's you right now? Uprightness, someone who loves righteousness, someone who hates wickedness. Where does good reputation, all that stuff, where does that fit in? Fruit of the Spirit, being above reproach, all those things. This king has the approval of people within his kingdom and also outside his kingdom. And the church, man, we, we love Jesus. We, we get to love Jesus because we are his people. It's not just the, the mere existence of the church that points to how great Jesus is, but it's the church's celebration of Jesus that testifies to the fact that he is the greatest groom, not just a groom, a ball and chain that we're tied to, right? Uh, and there can be a, a lot of stuff that distracts us from that, but, but that's why we have community, right? Friends in the church who can tell us when, when our affections are for someone or something else that, that isn't good for us, that isn't healthy. And that's such a huge gift if we're able to receive that and also give it as well. And so do you have those kind of people in your life? Right. Do you have that kind of community here within the local church? Because here's the thing. The, the world, the kingdom outside the church, actually hates Jesus. One day every knee will bow to him. That's true. And confess that he's Lord when they see him for who he really is. And, and to be clear, there is nothing in Jesus we should actually hate. Right? Jesus is just the light that's come into the world. And honestly, apart from grace, we love the darkness more than the light. Those of us even in this room, because we don't want our sin. The parts of us, uh, we'd rather stay hidden to, to be brought into the light or called out for what they really are. Uprightness and, and loving righteousness, those things take a backseat to hiding or covering up wickedness, at least when it comes to our own. But as we've already said, God, Jesus, he's already seen that part of us. We just don't want it to, to be seen. We don't want it to be seen. And there's a, there's a difference there. A difference of what's real, what's true, and what we want to be true. But, but don't we want to be free? Look, more important than, than who we want in a spouse this morning is, is who we spiritually want to knit our life to. It's really easy this morning 
sitting in a church, right, or, or watching a live stream or whatever to say, like, yeah, no, I, I want Jesus, right? But, but do you? <laughs> but do you? He, he sees you as you really are. And you have to take him as he really is. Not the, the sweet baby Jesus in a manger we see at this time of year at Christmas. Uh, he was that at one point in time, but he is not that any longer. Do, do you want the fully grown, eternally existing God-man who is unapologetically king? The one who's not going to tell you what you want to hear, who's not going to let you tame or trick him into fighting your, your little pet battles uh, or causes, right? Or uh, the, the one who's going to hold your feet to the fire? The, the one who's going to love you when you think that you're unlovable? The one who's going to forgive what you think is unforgivable? When you think no one in their right mind could possibly want you, do you want the Jesus who would fight for you? That, that's all the same Jesus, right? And on this side of him coming back, if you marry your life to his, you'd be joining your life to someone the world currently hates and hated enough to, to put to death. So this is a decision point for us in many ways. This depends on how deeply we trust him, what we're willing to put on the line or give up. And it, it leads us to our second main point for this morning, which is that marrying our life to Christ means giving up our old life. Marrying our life to Christ means giving up our old life. This is point two. Uh, we're going to look at verses 10 through 15. Here... O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king." Right here, uh, the psalmist turns his attention finally to, uh, to the daughter, the, the princess, the bride. Right? We have a picture of her in her chamber, uh, her dressing room where the bride and the bridesmaids would all be getting ready, doing their hair, their makeup, whatever it is that ladies do in that room uh, before. I have no idea what that is, but, but once she's put on the most extravagant, multicolored, gold-laced wedding ground, she, she's led in a bridal procession from her room and into the king's palace where the, the wedding ceremony is taking place, right? If you've been to a wedding or in a wedding, that sounds pretty familiar, maybe minus the palace part, right? But all that sounds pretty familiar. Now, there's something we, we have to clarify real quick uh, in this stuff. Uh, marriages in the days when this was written, especially uh, royal marriages, they were not the result of, of romance, all right? Uh, largely, they were a part of a political arrangement. I, I know some of you have watched the Christmas Switch, all right? I know some of you have watched the straight-to-Netflix sequel, The Princess Switch Switched Again. I know we have. It's great. What a classic. Um, but royal weddings back then weren't like that. They weren't a matter of falling head over heels for, for someone. Uh, marriage was an institution, not, not merely woven into the fabric of society by knitting families together, but it was an institution that wove entire kingdoms Together, If a king conquered a people, uh, the, the king and his people would sometimes marry the women of the people they conquered to show they were now theirs. They were part of the same kingdom, whether they liked it or not. Or if a king wished to arrange a, a peace treaty or a trade deal or some other uh, kind of political arrangement with another nation, they would often uh, swap uh, brides, swap daughters, and give 
uh, daughters to, to one another in marriage as a sign of commitment or fidelity. Uh, and, and in that way, advancing the cause and influence of the kingdom through marriage. So, so there's an, an added layer of significance, of stuff going on to, to marriage uh, in general uh, here, but also specifically to the wedding that's taking place in Psalm 45. He's a king and she's a princess. Two kingdoms colliding and uniting in some way. And she is called to bow to him since he is her Lord. He's her soon-to-be husband and uh, he's just as much her king as everyone else's. And look, like, I know smash the patriarchy, right? Uh, some of us want to do that. But, but, and men, look, just to be clear, none of you are kings this morning, all right? So the takeaway from this text is not that you uh, tell your spouse to call you Lord and bow down to you, all right? I will get phone calls about that, and I should get phone calls uh, about that. But look, um, gosh, married or not, men uh, or women, look, we get to listen to this with, with the ears of the church who has Jesus as both her groom and her king. Consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the bride, and with joy and gladness she is led along as she enters the palace of a king. As a person from, from the future, looking back thousands of years, we can, we can take issue with arranged marriages and what that says about women and, and all those things, that's fair. But two things we can't take exception to in this is, is one, the very voice of this bride who is genuinely joyful and glad, right, and experiences glory here in the midst of this kind of arrangement, right? Let's not squelch her voice for the sake of, of making some cultural, political points here. And, and secondly, the loyalty of those in his kingdom, if he's king, then he's king. That's the way it works. But, but we do take exception to that every day. Every day as the church, when we want to experience the joy and the gladness and the goodness that comes with being desired by Jesus the groom, while not simultaneously wanting to bow our knee to Jesus the king in allegiance to him. We want to have our wedding cake and eat it too. It was really corny, sorry. Uh, but this is a royal wedding, and Jesus is a royal groom. And if we marry our life to his, we marry all of our lives to, to all of him. We can't split him apart in those ways. So when we read the bit from Ephesians 5, uh, that therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We call this leaving and cleaving for short. It comes from Genesis, the idea that, that a man, uh, when, when he marries a woman, they marry, they unite their lives to one another. They leave behind their old immediate families to cleave together as a new immediate family with a new head uh, and as a new household. This is what the psalm writer means when he says the bride has to forget her people and her father's house. Not literally forget them, shove them out of her memory, uh, but, but she has to leave behind her old ways. Her old customs, traditions, values, allegiances to adopt new ones as part of a new family. And when Jesus calls us to unite our life with his, we're called to do the exact same thing. To leave behind an old life marked by sin and the ways of the world. And to cleave to him as our new king, as new members of a new kingdom to build a new life together. Look, over the years I've, I've talked with uh, young men who are in healthy, committed 
relationships. They're kicking around the idea of marriage or proposing. Uh, cold feet's a real thing. Never experienced that, however, on the wedding day. It always comes before they decide to even pop the question. Uh, how do I know if, if she's the right one? I'm just not sure if, if this is it. What if, what if this or what if that? Uh, and, and there's rarely an actual legit concern or a real red flag uh, in the girl that they're dating. What they're feeling usually isn't like a, a sudden spark of like discernment or thoughtfulness or spirit-led concern or any of those things. It's usually just a fear of no longer having options. It's a fear of commitment. And all that that means, saying yes to one thing and no to everything else, right? Uh, and sorry if this stirs up some conversation on the drive home or sometime later for some of you, but, but this is where we're at. Uh, the word picture often used with them is this, that you have all these doors in front of you, right? All these relationships that you could possibly walk through. And, and you don't want to lose sight uh, of any of those things, right? Right now you've, you've opened a door and you're standing at the threshold. You're looking around inside of it trying to see what it's like. Uh, would that be a good fit, right? And that's fine for a time. You don't want to rush through the first door that is open to you. But, but here's the thing. The only way for, for you to keep all of the options in front of you, for you to be able to see all the doors and not lose sight of any of them, is for you to never walk through any of them. And door lived in. And while you're weighing the fear of missing out on all the doors that you didn't walk through, you don't even know what you're missing right now by not walking through the door that's right in front of you. For all the good and all the joy and all the gladness and even all the good stuff and glory that comes through lots of hard work and hard conversations and hard stuff that will come. You can't, you can't know that by staying where you are. You can't know that. The hang-up isn't with the other person. The hang-up is with you, the guy, <laughs> and your willingness to commit. Not just to a certain kind of future, but to a certain person and, and a new life that God hands you to build together. Whatever that future happens to look like. And likewise, folks, man, hang-ups in our relationship with Jesus the King are, are not his problem. They're really not. He's not a young, immature, still-finding-himself potential spouse, right? Uh, he is the eternal, perfect, divine King of the universe. So if we have hang-ups in our relationship with Jesus the King... Right, the real royal groom, not the one we've made up in our head, who would never say this, never call us to do this, never ask anyone to give up this or that or whatever. But, but the hang-ups that we have with the real Jesus are never his problem. They are our problem. A problem that we have with commitment out of fear of losing out on a certain kind of future. Maybe even, ironically, losing a relationship. Because deep down we know that Jesus is calling us to leave our old ways, our old ambitions, our wrong beliefs about him and about us at the door. And to walk through the door and to live in a new relationship where he is the head of our life. Where he's the king and we are the subject for our good. We, we have to be ready to leave our old life behind. To say yes to Jesus and no to everyone else, including ourselves. And that's going to take trust. But he is nothing but trustworthy. If you're him hawing or, or riding the fence with Jesus, or if you're a Christian, there might be an unrepentant sin. You need to know that on the other side of the door is, is grace and glory. You're, you're going to miss out on things. You are going to miss out on things when you marry your life to Christ's. This is true, but, but you get Christ. You get Jesus. You get the royal groom. You, you are not going to miss out on anything better than what you can find in him. 
Again, Ephesians 5 earlier, uh, man, we, we read that, that he wants to present you to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that you might be holy and without blemish. If you feel like you have too much to lose or a, a persona or a reputation to, to keep, if you feel too dirty or too stained by sin uh, or maybe too rough around the edges to be loved or wanted by anyone, let alone Jesus, Jesus is the one who sees you as you really are and is ready to clothe you with something else, with robes of his righteousness. He lavishes us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, meeting every longing we have with everything that we need. That's what he does for us. So if, if thousands of years ago an earthly princess can be led to an earthly king in an arranged marriage with joy and gladness in her heart, how much greater can our joy and gladness be when we let the gospel lead us to the king of heaven and earth? That we might not just know in our heads that he probably loves us, but, but actually experience his very real divine desire for us if we would only bring ourselves to walk through the door. Especially when we know that, that Jesus, unlike this royal groom in this psalm, he doesn't wait around for us to bow to him before he shows us his commitment or his desire for us, not just with his words, but with his life. This greater groom showed his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us, his bride. Before all the gold-laced, multicolored robes, while we were strangers, enemies, rebels of his kingdom, he rode out victoriously to conquer the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom that we by nature are part of, so that in his colliding of those two kingdoms, he might arrange a way for him to marry his life to ours as part of his kingdom, his family, and his palace forever. This song calls us to bow to Jesus, but it isn't calling us to be faithful in a way that Jesus hasn't already demonstrated a million times over to us through little blood and sweat and tears. He desires you. He will be faithful to you. So walk through the door, bow the knee, and be ready to leave your old life behind. You not only get Christ, you, you get his kingdom and the chance to build it together. And this leads us into the, the final and shortest point, that marrying our life to Christ means building a new kingdom. Verses 16 through 17 to wrap up. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. As he closes out this song, the writer turns his attention back to the groom with the good news that, that whatever you might uh, lose or miss out on by leaving your life uh, behind and cleaving to your new wife, it'll be replaced with something new and something lasting. Sons, who he will make into princes, not just in his kingdom, uh, but throughout the entire earth. And no one will forget the king's name. Why? Well, the psalm writer. Because the psalm writer, this toast giver, he will cause the king's name to be remembered in all generations. Right? How? By giving this toast, by writing it down. And it found its way into the collection of psalms and read in a nation that he didn't even know existed yet to remember uh, this groom and this queen to be. We're fulfilling literally what he is writing right here, right now, which is pretty cool, right? So, look, y'all have probably heard of empty nests who had kids, but, but those kids have grown up and moved out. What you might not know uh, is that empty nesters have a divorce rate that's, that's double or sometimes triple uh, the average rate. And there, there are a million reasons why uh, this could be. They're all, every relationship is its own thing, right? But, but a common thread 
is that often the mission of those marriages was too small and temporary, and often uh, it's, it's kids. Now, now, being fruitful and multiplying is a thing, right? Kids are a wonderful blessing. Parenting is an incredible opportunity to shape humans from the ground up and build them up to be men and women. But at some point, right, they leave. And if the mission of your marriage uh, has been centered on your kids, then, then when they leave, they take the purpose of, of your marriage with them. And suddenly you're left with, with this other uh, adult human that you've hitched your life to and you're face-to-face only with them and you're not exactly sure who they are, who you are, or why you're doing this thing, um, what you're supposed to be doing now that, that the purpose and the mission has moved out. And that's because we're all called to be fruitful and multiply in a deeper, more significant way. Marriage uh, or not. Kids or not. We are called to a mission that transcends life stage or relationship status or anything else. When we marry our life to Christ, he calls each of us to make and mature and multiply disciples of Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This mission doesn't begin with marriage, and it doesn't end with divorce. It doesn't become more important with kids, and it doesn't cease with Jesus, who is king over heaven and earth. He rode out victoriously to conquer the kingdom of Satan, sin, and death, not only to bring us into that eternal kingdom, but that by marrying his life to ours, we might be politically advantageous to his kingdom, serving in it, giving to it, right, inviting people into it, and sending them out to do the same thing. And this arranged sort of marriage doesn't mean that our relationship with Christ is any less rooted in love. On the contrary, it's, it's built on costly love, love that Jesus paid for with his life, but our, our marriage to Christ has another layer of meaning that makes it more about the, the way that Jesus feels about us, right, or what Jesus did for us. He has not only collided with us, but his kingdom has collided with the world's kingdom. And now we get to take the fight of discipleship, the fight that we should be fighting, the right fight, we get to take that to the world together. Church, it's our job to toast Jesus with our lives, to celebrate him and the way that he leads us and loves us day in and day out, to invite others to bow their knee to the one true king and to raise their glass to the royal groom, to repent and believe and rejoice in the gospel alongside of us. We get to bless others with our words. We get to lead others to Jesus with our lives. And in doing so, we get to make sons and daughters in the faith with Jesus. Sons and daughters of the king. Princes and princesses who can take the same good news of the same royal groom to the nations. Nations that maybe we're not even thinking about. Nations that maybe not, don't even exist yet. Right? We get to make, mature, and multiply disciples. And so we just get to reflect this morning, man, are we doing that? What would that look like if we did that? My guess is that some of us, uh, when we find ourselves in a a spiritual empty nest, if we were to sit in in the quiet, alone, face-to-face with Jesus, we wouldn't recognize him or ourselves or, or know even why we're doing this Christian thing. I know that some of us are maybe already there this morning. And look, Jesus will never divorce you. His faithfulness is not dependent on yours. He is forever faithful, but you get to take stock in your own faithfulness because you are the one 
who actually might be missing out on all that Jesus intends for your life together. If you've married your life to Christ and you are politically advantageous to the kingdom, you are, right? You are an asset to him, full stop. But, but some of you don't believe that. You think that your past, some lack of knowledge, the fact you've not read most of the Bible, uh, you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, fill in the blank. You think that stuff means you're not valuable or useful to the kingdom, that you're dead weight at best or you're a liability, right, to the kingdom at worst. And that's a lie, right? Let him use you. Let him lead you, the one that he sought with his life. Let him use the Holy Spirit that he has put inside of you. Let him use the gospel that he's given you. Let him use the influence and the relationships, the time and the talent and the resources he's given you. Replace the doubts you have about yourself with the trust and the authority of Jesus. Because the attention, the anticipation, the focus is on him. It's on the groom. It's not on us. It's not on the bride, right? Does your heart this morning like the heart of a psalm writer? Does it overflow with a pleasing theme about Jesus? Are your verses addressed to the king? Is your tongue like the pen of a ready scribe, bursting at the seams, looking for opportunities to tell people about how great the royal groom is. If not, then I just simply invite you to behold Jesus. It's, it's tough to toast a groom you don't think is all that great or that you don't know or remember all that well or, or know it all. And this is where we started this morning, and this is where our psalmist started. And it's what he gives the most attention to, the glory of the groom. And so if you find yourself a bit aimless this morning or simply aiming maybe at the wrong things or even if you're affirmed and encouraged this morning, that's great. All of us get to go back to the same place, seeing why Jesus is the greatest royal groom. We get to open the scriptures and see the way he leads with his words, the way he leads with his life, the way he's beloved by the fringes of society, the way he desires and dresses, even the lowliest of those who join their life to his. And so instead of popping in an old uh, half-taped-over VHS or or DVD, or whatever, to recall the day you first married your life to his. The day that you first believed, well, that was a long time ago. Maybe that's today. We all get to go back to the gospel, to see the cross and the empty tomb, and remember with crystal clarity, uninterrupted, untaped over, that the day that Jesus definitively declared that he wanted to marry his life to ours. And that should change everything about the way that we live with him today. It's a relationship that we live in and that we grow in and we get to get old in for the sake of some kind of future. And when we marry our life to Christ, we give up our old life from the past and we get to build a new one, an eternal one together with him. May we bow our knee and raise our glass.